Well, good morning. I think we're getting different ones coming in. It's good to see you this morning. We are here in response to God's call to come follow me. Before we begin, I'm going to have Dr. Light come up, and he's going to introduce uh, a few team members of ours. Good morning. Good morning. We need a speech about being a congregation, but that'll be another day. Right. Right. Good morning. Um, my privilege to introduce to you a couple of folks most of, most of you have already met, but I want to do it again. Um, as you know, uh, Marcia and Jay are leaving at the uh, end of the first week in December, and so we need someone to step into their roles, and uh, we've made those choices. So uh, Arlie Watson, Arlie, would you stand? Arlie Watson comes to us from uh, serving at ACSI as an administrative assistant to one of the vice presidents there, and she will take on the role that Marcia has been serving as my administrative assistant. So would you welcome her? And then Liz, Liz Cartwright, Liz, would you stand? Uh, she comes to us serving as a registrar at uh, Troy University, uh, one of their branch campuses here in Colorado Springs, and she served in that capacity for a number of years, and so she is the new registrar. And um, so, and we're glad you're here too. Would you guys welcome? <laughs> and then I think there's somebody new t uh, on Laurel's team. Thank you. Uh, we have actually uh, two new hires and a move from one position to another. Heather, would you please stand? Heather Bain it has been working in our call center and uh, has uh, just last Friday begun work as our admissions counselor in the enrollment management department. Heather is uh, wife of one of our students, uh, Derek Bain and uh, we're thrilled that she's now uh, an admissions counselor. Thank you, Heather. In addition to that, though neither of them are here, we have also hired uh, Ashley Jordan and Alexandra Velasquez. I didn't have to have Scott help me with that. How about it? Uh, we've hired those two individuals, and they will begin work next Monday evening in our call center. Uh, Ashley is also the spouse of uh, student Jordan Wesley, and uh, we're thrilled that those two ladies will be joining our team as well. And now I think Wilma, you have an introduction or two. You need to come up here so they can hear you. Right. <laughs> Byron.
Let us go ahead and stand as we worship our God this morning. We are made to worship. Second Peter chapter 2 says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Do you know that you're God's special possession this morning? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We have so much to praise our God for. He has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you, have, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we are here this morning to declare the praises of him who called us out. We are here. We are made to worship. God, we worship you this morning. We come into your house, Lord Father, to worship you. We forget about ourselves and remember it's all about you. And we lift up our hands, Lord Jesus, in surrenderance, declaring and knowing that we can't do it without you. We magnify you this morning. God be with us as we hear from you this morning. As we look into the word, Dr. Church, as he brings the word. Let's give you this time again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. I would like to direct your attention this morning to Luke chapter 11. If you have a Bible there and would turn with me, Luke chapter 11. And we will begin reading in verse 37. Luke 11. 37 through 43. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace." This term we are talking about following Jesus. 
And we've had a series of uh, interesting and thought-provoking sermons. Um, our president started, started us off with, Come, Follow Me. And if you remember a sermon by Dr. Like, if you were there, uh, where he had his phone ringing and, uh, God, who is calling you, right? Um, and Dr. Russom uh, talked to us about uh, a call to make a difference in our world. Last uh, morning chapel, Dr. Ott talked to us about RSVPing and following Jesus. Uh, more recently in the evening chapel, uh, Dr. Matson talked to us about what happens when that call begins to fade. Um, so uh, a lot of sermons about come and follow me. This morning I'd like to talk to you for just a few moments about come and follow me even when you have problems, even when you have problems without obvious solutions. Any of you have those situations? Problems without obvious solutions. Nineteen seventy. How many of you remember nineteen seventy? How many would confess to ever having a mood ring? Or bell bottom pants, guys? Yeah? Afros, uh, yeah, yeah. S somehow I have trouble imagining that picture. <laughs> Lava lamps, Rubik cubes, smiley faces, all that stuff. We, we remember, right? We remember the uh, Vietnam War. We remember Roe versus Wade. We remember the trials and the tribulations of the 70s. Um, we remember Kent State. We remember the start of email. Ooh, I think I wish I could cancel that one. Laser printers, affirmative action, Watergate, all of those things bring back memories and visualization for you. In the midst of all of that, I was... Uh, a little younger than I am now. Uh, but I started to work at uh, General Motors, and I had just finished college, and um, they decided that I should be a supervisor on an assembly line. They didn't tell the union, and they didn't tell the people that worked for me that officially I didn't have the classification, and I officially wasn't the supervisor over the assembly line but they still expected me to get the job done every day. Some of you have, uh, have had situations like that where you had the responsibility without the authority to make it happen, right? So I'm this new young kid on the assembly line, and we're in the middle of this 70s culture where uh, for the first time ever, the postal service had walked off the job and for Endless days, there was no mail. The police in New York City had walked off the job. I mean, you know, this is the kind of culture and the kind of things that were going on. And so the uh, first week on the job, it was a, I was on the night shift. And uh, 
the ringleader of the assembly line got his guys together and said, uh, we're going to have a sit-down strike. And we're going to test church and see what he's made of. So about 6 o'clock, after all of the other day shift leadership had gone home, um, they sat down on the job, wouldn't do anything, see what I was going to do. I didn't know what to do, and my first opportunity to deal with something like this, so I called up my boss, right? Boss, what do I do? They're not working, they're sitting down on the job. He wasn't real sympathetic. He said, church, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. Which are you going to be? That was my advice. So I started at the beginning of the assembly line and introduced myself to the first guy and talked to him for a while, got to know him a little bit, probably took 15 minutes, and I just walked my way around that assembly line, introducing myself to each one of them, trying to get to know them, not berating them for not working and all that kind of stuff. Make a long story short, that night they did almost nothing. Uh, the next night they changed their mind. They started, decided to go to work. They said, we can work with this guy. And so they got their ringleaders together, and they said, we're going to show management that we're better than the day shift. And so from then on, every day, we always had better production than the day shift. The advice I got was, you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. Which is it you're going to be? I didn't know at the time, but that advice I got from a supervisor who was not a Christian was pretty biblical advice. I know that you've been in those situations where you had issues and problems and you didn't know what to do about them. One of those tensions I have still today, and on an ongoing basis, and maybe you have this too, as I'm coming to work, I come down Powers, and often I'll swing into the gas station to get a cup of coffee or to fill up with gas, and there's this old guy sitting on the corner right there, right, with his little sign saying he needs help, right? And I have this tension inside of me. Do I help somebody like that? When I help them, am I enabling them to continue a lifestyle that isn't appropriate? And I hearken back to my days when I lived in Brazil, where every corner you stopped at, there was somebody there, and often they were little children that were deformed. And oh, by the way, they weren't deformed from birth. They were deformed by their guardians on purpose to try to elicit help from you. What do we do in situations like that? We are constantly bombarded by our social media telling us that as Americans, as rich people, that we owe it to the rest of the world to give to them and to help them and enable them to do better. 
a problem that Jesus says we will always have the poor with us. So there doesn't appear to me to be an obvious solution. So what do we do about that? Well, I think this passage this morning has something to say to us about that. In Luke chapter 11, verse 37, and when Jesus finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him, so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised, and he noticed that Jesus did not first wash his hands before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but here's the problem. Inside, you are full of greed and wickedness. As I understand this passage of Scripture, these Pharisees were taking advantage of others. They had gathered their wealth and their power and their authority through means that were not appropriate. You and I, you know, sometimes people say there are two kinds of rich people. People who distort from others and people who have inherited from people who distort from others. And sometimes that bothers me. You know, I know that my parents worked hard for what they had. And I know I worked hard for what I have. But when I go to Walmart, we we all know that behind the scenes, who's making those clothes and what's happening, and we, we really don't know what distortion might be going on, right? We like the low prices, and we'll shop for a better deal, but we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. When we go to Costco to save $20, we don't know who in India is slaving as a seven-year-old child to make something. We don't know that. We don't know if that distortion is is happening. It's a, a problem that we're full of wanting a better deal, wanting to be good stewards of what God has given us, but maybe the money that we have, maybe the wealth we've accumulated wasn't accumulated in ways that were exactly fair. So then people try to take advantage of us by saying, oh, well, you ought to do this and use fair trade practices. You ought to always buy from these people who you can trust, like we know who that is, right? (laughs) So however they have come by this wealth, they have this wealth. And so herein lies the problem. Gained unjustly, they have amass wealth in some inappropriate manner. What does Jesus say about this in verse 42? Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of herbs, but you neglect. What, what is it they neglect? They ne- neglect justice and the love of God and You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you because you love the most important seats in the synagogues 
and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Sounds a lot to me like Micah 6, 8 that says, He has made clear to you, O man, what is good and what is desired from you by the Lord, only doing what is right, loving mercy, and walking without pride before God. So, for me, this is the solution. I don't know when I go to Walmart and I buy something, what goes on behind the scene. I can't control all that. I don't know how to deal with that. I have this dissonance. When I pass the man on the corner, I don't know what I can do without enabling addictions. I don't know what I can do without enabling bad behavior. But what I do know is what Scripture says. And the Scripture says that we are only to do what is right. Only do what is right. All of us can study Scripture. We can have the Spirit of the Lord to help us as we choose on a daily basis what to do. Some days I feel like the Spirit wants me to help somebody and I give them of my means. Other days I don't, other situations I don't feel that way and I must rely on the Lord and the Spirit to help me know what is right. And what is right for me today in this situation with regard to this concept may not be the same for you, right? So we are to do what is right. We are to love mercy. Without the mercy of God, I could be that person on the corner. I could be that person in India that's being extorted. I could have been born in China and worked in a sweatshop. I could have, without the grace of God, that could have been me. But I am to love mercy and I am to walk without pride before God. If I do those three things, it seems to me that while I haven't solved all of the evils of the world, and maybe afterwards in 30 minutes you, can, I, you and I can sit down and we can do that, we can solve those issues, but I at least have a process that I can use to walk through this together. Who knew that that evil, uncaring, unchristian boss that I had in the 70s could teach me something that was scriptural? I'm either part of the problem or I'm part of the solution. I'm not sure what God might be talking to you about today. I know what he's talking to me about. I know some of the things that he is impressing on me that I need to do to love mercy and to walk before him humbly and what kinds of actions I need to take. I can't tell you what action you should take. But those problems that you have in your life that don't have clear solutions, 
is the opportunity for him to teach you mercy and to walk humbly before him. I'm convinced that often as Christians we have what is typically called compassion fatigue. Some of you are on the phones talking to people every day of your life and one minute you're talking to somebody that just had a, a, a miscarriage and the next moment you're talking to somebody that's just found out they have cancer and the next moment you're talking to somebody that doesn't have the finances to continue work and after a while it just kind of seems like well okay here's another thing right it's just another piece of the day but how can I deal with that what is God talking to me about what is God calling us to do I have this vision that Nazarene Bible College can be the most important asset that you have in your life. I tell the folks that I work with, I don't want this place to be your life. I want you to have fun with your family. I want you to enjoy your grandkids. I want you to do all kinds of... But this is an asset that God put in our life. And it's an asset that we have to not only bless ourselves and help us and help the college, but it's here to bless this community. It's here to take action that can help that person on the corner. It's here to help us do good. Last week, several, a few of us were out in uh, California with the Salvation Army, and their motto is doing the most good, right? What good can we do today? I think individually, I probably can't make a lot of difference on a day-to-day -day basis. But together, all of us, we can make that difference, right? God has blessed us with wonderful resources that we have the ability to bless our community with and our church and those around us. What difference are we going to make? At the end of the day, what difference does it make that NBC sits on this beautiful hill? Are we making a difference? I would like to think that we could become a place where when the editor at the local gazette has a religious issue and needs to know something about the, uh, what, it, the, what the scripture has to say about it, the first place that pops into their mind is NBC. Ah, oh, Maybe there's a Dan King. Maybe there's somebody over there that can help us with this. I would like to think that when people think about NBC, they think here's a place that blesses our community. Here's a place that makes a difference in our community. What is it we need to do here? What is it you need to do here so that you could be proud to tell everybody in this community Everybody in your, in your church, everybody in your family, your grandkids, I work at NBC and be proud of that. What is it you would have to do different? What is God calling me to do? What is he calling you to do? How can we do that together? You 
are either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. And I don't know what God is calling you to do, but I do know that under the guidance of our president and the cabinet, we are making a concerted effort to make sure this place is known in this community. In this term, we are starting with several events. There are sign-up sheets on that table back there that you can sign up to help ring bells for the Salvation Army at Christmas. There are other activities that Terry Cofield and her team are putting together. There's a blood drive coming up. Uh, and there's a long story behind that, and if you don't know that, you need to, to talk to Terry. But we have many opportunities to bless this community. My challenge to you today is what is God calling you to do? How are you going to contribute? You are either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. Do you love mercy? Do you walk humbly before God? How can we help? Stand with me, please. Father, I thank you for speaking to me about what I can do. I thank you for your word that stirs my heart, and I pray that it would not only stir my heart, but it would move me to action. I don't understand, I don't know how to fix all the problems, but I do know that you call me to make a difference. I pray that you would bless this community through NBC and that you would continue to let me be a part of that. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Go in his peace.